Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Thank you. I'm so glad all of you are joining us today, but I just have to say I am so glad to have all of the moms who are with us, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or just online. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your very special day. Now, the reality is, while for most of us, Mother's Day is a time of great joy and celebration, the truth is, for some of us, today is a very difficult day. Honoring and celebrating and focusing on moms for some of us just feels like it's shining a spotlight on something that is maybe missing or broken or Lost, And if that's you today, first of all, I just want you to know how sorry I am for your pain and for your struggle. And my hope, my prayer all this week for you is that somehow, in some way, you would encounter Jesus today. Because really, he and he alone can fill that void. He really is the only one who can bridge that gap and and heal that hurt. And one of the ways that he does that is through church family, through other believers who can come alongside you and walk with you. And so if that's you today, just know as a church, as a family, we would be honored to help you in whatever way that looks like for you today. So whether you're celebrating with joy or you're struggling just to get through today, I'm really so thankful that you are here. I also just kind of need to let you in on an insider secret for preachers. For those of us who are pastors, Mother's Day and Mother's Day sermons are the most difficult sermon of the year. Right? Not only because all of the emotions associated with it, but just the fact that uh, we are expected to stand up here and talk about a subject that in reality we know absolutely nothing about. And then to compound that because of the size and demographics of our church, we have moms in all sorts of seasons and stages of motherhood. There's just so much variety among the moms. I mean, we have moms who work full-time in the home, moms who work full-time outside the home. We have single moms who, quite frankly, just amaze me at how they're able to do all that they are able to do. We have moms of prodigals who are laying awake at night wondering if that son or that daughter is ever going to come home. We have uh, moms, uh, empty nest moms who are trying to figure out this new season of life. We have moms who should be empty nesters but aren't yet, and they're just trying to figure out what's the right thing to do with their adult children. We've got moms of teenagers who ride that emotional roller coaster every day of one moment you're loved and revered, and the next minute you're hated and you're the worst mom ever. We have moms of toddlers who quite honestly would like nothing more than to just take a nap during this sermon because they're so exhausted. But I just want to say whatever season of motherhood you are in today, on behalf of Cedar Creek Church and on behalf of the intelligent men who are here, thank you moms for all that you do. Now you notice I said intelligent mom because you always have a few knuckleheads who are like, what's so hard about being a mom? Well, let me tell you something. For those guys, I have a plan. 
I am proposing a new reality TV game show. And it's going to work somewhat like Survivor. And so I've written up this proposal that I'm going to send to the uh, television station. Here's how the game works. Six married men will be dropped off on a deserted island with one car and four kids each. Each kid plays two sports and in addition either takes dance or music. Each man is required to take care of his four kids, keep his assigned house clean, do the dishes, correct all the homework, do science fair projects, cook, do the laundry, and anything else that needs to be done. And on this island, there is no access to fast food. The men only have one television on the whole island. They cannot watch it until the kids are all asleep and the chores are done. By the way, it's only a 12-inch black and white TV and there is no remote. The men every day must shave their legs and apply makeup while driving their kids to school. They have to help in the classroom every week with every one of their kids, clean up after sick children at 3 a.m., be able to make a model Indian teepee with six toothpicks, a tortilla, and candle wax, all the while trying to get a four-year-old to eat their vegetables. And at the end of each week, the kids will vote the men off the island based on their competency. And the last man standing wins only, only if he is able to have enough energy to be intimate with his spouse at a moment's notice. And if that last man does win his reward, he gets to play the game over and over for the next 18 to 25 years, then and only then earning the right to be called mom. So there you go, moms. Happy Mother's Day. All right, so if you'll go ahead and grab your message notes, you'll see we're in the fourth and final week of Family Matters most. And I can't think of a better way to wrap up this series than to spend some time focusing on moms and the impact that they have on our lives. But rather than me standing up here trying to teach lessons to moms, I think we ought to learn lessons from the moms who are a part of our lives. Because moms are great at teaching life lessons, aren't they? Moms teach us essential lessons for life. Like moms teach us the, the value of planning ahead and prior proper planning, right? Because do you remember your mom used to tell you before I, you went out of the house, make sure you had on clean underwear in case you got in an accident? See, that's planning ahead. Of course, I wonder if you get in an accident, do the paramedics really check to see if your underwear is clean? I don't know. Moms teach us about the circle of life. I remember often my mom saying, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, right? Moms teach us about justice. I remember as a teenager, my mom says, one day I hope you have kids and I hope they act just like you. I did, they do, thank you, mom. But you know what? Moms teach us more than just great life lessons. Moms have a lot to teach us about God. In fact, part of God's purpose for our parents is to reflect the character of God to us when we are children. And while none of us do this perfectly as parents, and while maybe you didn't have this in your life growing up, there are things we can learn from moms about God. 
And that's what I want to do today. I want to look at three things moms teach us about God's love. And then I want to look at two ways that we can choose to respond to that love God has for us. That makes sense? See where we're going? All right, let's jump in. Number one, the first thing that moms teach us about is God's love, that God is love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God's word tells us that God loves us, but moms flesh out that love to us in our daily lives. A mother's love is unique among all love. There's nothing else like it in all human relationships. A mother's love is intuitive, yes, but it is also very practical. Moms love in a practical way. And while I've been blessed to know two incredible moms and have a front row seat to how they live, the, my mom and the mother of my children, one of the things I can tell you about moms is they will do things for their children that no one else would even think of doing. Like, right? Moms, when your child is about to throw up, you actually try to catch the vomit, right? You do that. You love that way. When you read your kids' bedtime stories, even though it's the hundredth night in a row you've read the same story, you never skip pages or paraphrase. You read every bit of it. Now, me, no way. I'm like, once upon a time, the end, go to bed, right? But no, a mom will read every page. A mom will use her own saliva to clean dirt off of her children's faces, right? So it seems kind of gross, but really, there's just something healing about a mom's saliva. And as amazing as a mom's love is, it is barely a drop in the bucket to the way God loves us. That's why Paul writes these words in 2 Thessalonians. He says, may the Lord lead you into a greater understanding of God's love. I want you to circle that phrase, greater understanding. Here's why this is so important, because my fear is, while most of us here today are believers, and we've kind of maybe been in the church for a little while, this idea of God is love, we kind of take a whole hum, check the box, been there, done that, got the bumper sticker on my car, you know, thank you, Captain, obvious. But understand, there is a big difference between knowing God's love and understanding what that love really means for your life. I got a glimpse of what God's love is like 32 years ago as a 26-year-old young man. I'd grown up in church all of my life. I've heard story after story and Sunday school and Wednesday night, and I, I knew that God was love and that he loved me. In fact, as a young adult, I'd even had opportunities to teach other people about God's love. But it wasn't until I was standing in the labor and delivery room in January of 1989, and Terry was in labor with our very first child, that I began to get a better understanding of just how much God loves us. She'd been in labor for 26 hours 
And then all of a sudden, the doctors realized, oh, this baby is too big to be born. I'm like, really? Did the baby grow in the last 24 hours? Why didn't we know this ahead of time, right? But this was a rural hospital, and so I couldn't go into the place where they were going to do the C-section. So they rolled her bed down the hall. And I remember like yesterday, walking beside that hospital bed as they're rolling her into surgery. And you know, you get to those double doors, and there's that red do not cross line. And I had to stop there, and they rolled her into that OR, and the doors closed. And I had this overwhelming sense of panic and fear and dread. And it seemed like waiting in that hall by myself for hours. I'm sure it was only, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Eventually, the nurse came out and said, congratulations, Mr. Lee, you have a son, and mom and baby are both doing great. And I felt this flood of incredible relief. And then the nurse said, would you like to see your son? And I'm like, yeah, duh. We haven't been here for two days because we love the food. And so she took me in to the nursery, and I looked down into that acrylic bassinet, and I looked into the face of my son for the very first time. And the nurse said, do, do you want to hold him? And I'm like, no way. I mean, you've seen a newborn baby, right? They're like Vaseline-covered weasels. And I'm like, I don't want to, I'll drop it. It'll slide out of my hands. Terry's worked for 26 hours to have this baby, and I'm not going to mess that up. But I did reach down into the bassinet to touch the side of my son's face. And as I did, he reached up with his tiny little hand, and he grabbed my finger. And in that moment... I felt a love that was so much more than anything I could imagine. And God whispered into my ear, what you're feeling right now, Philip, you multiply that by infinity and you'll start to understand just how much I love you. And three years ago, I got another glimpse into the depth of God's love and the willingness of him to send his only son as we walked through the grief of losing that same precious boy whose face I had looked into. And it overwhelmed me to think about the price God was willing to pay to make a way for me and for you. God's love is personal. I know some of you, you hear that God, God so loves the world and it's this nebulous cosmic kind of thing, but God's love for you is deeply personal for you. That's why on this next passage on your outline, in my notes, I went through those verses and everywhere it said us, I scratched it out and put me because God's love is personal. I want you to listen to me read this and hear God speaking to you. God says, God showed his love for me when he sent his only son into the world to give me life. Real love isn't my love for God, but his love for me. God sent his son to be the sacrifice by which my sins are forgiven. God's love is a personal love. It's a sacrificial love, and we can see a glimpse of that in a mother's love, but when we understand the truth of God's love, it can transform our lives. If we will allow that to be the defining moment and picture of who we are and our value and worth, Moms teach us the lesson that God is love. There's a second lesson we learn from 
uh, moms, and that is God loves to protect us. God loves to protect us. Moms are very protective by nature, right? How many of you had a pretty protective mom bordering on maybe overprotecting, right? They're very protective. The two best, the two moms I know the best, my wife and my mother, if you were to meet them in person, you would walk away from a conversation with them thinking those are some of the kindest, sweetest, most gentle women I've ever been around. But you mess with one of their kids or grandkids, it's game on, baby. I'm talking Chuck Norris on heroin. They will, they will hurt you, and they won't care because they are protective of their kids, right? Oh my. Has anybody ever heard a mom say, yeah, ride your bike as fast as you want, and don't worry about wearing a helmet. Feel free to weave in and out of traffic and wear your best clothes when you're doing it, and don't worry about your underwear because you're never going to get in an accident. No, moms don't say that because they are protective. And guess what? So is God. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 7. I love this from the Living Bible paraphrase. It says, let him, let God have all of your worries and cares, for he is always thinking about you, and he is watching everything that concerns you. Circle the word always, and circle the word everything. You are always on God's mind, and he cares about everything that you care about. And listen, I get it. For many of us here, that sounds like a pretty little religious pat picture of, you know, God is there to protect you, but it doesn't match up with the reality of our life. And we're wondering, if God is protective, then why did I lose that loved one? If God wants to protect me, then why did those bad things happen to me? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why am I having to walk through this fire? Where is God. And let me tell you, I can't answer your why question. I can't even answer that question for myself, but I can answer the where question. Where was God when you walked through the fire? He was right there with you. He never left you or forsaken you. I know that not just because the Bible says that it's true. I know it from my own dark and painful nights. He's always with us. And somehow, in some way, he's always being protective of us. See, that's the thing. From our human perspective, all we ever see is what did happen, what we did go through. We don't get to see what didn't happen, right? We have no idea the things that God has been protecting us from. That's why I noticed Psalm 121 verse 5. It says, the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. I love that image of God as this protective shade. He's described that way throughout Scripture, like a mother hen who gathers her chicks, like an eagle who covers and protects her babies, like a cleft in the rock that provides shade from the hot sun. See, because here's the thing about shade. I choose whether I stay in it or I get out from under it. My mom was an incredibly protective 
mom, but there were times when I rebelled against that protection. I, I thought I knew more and was wise and I rejected her wisdom and in love she allowed me to get out from under that shade. And almost every time I ended up falling on my face. Now hear me, I'm not saying that what you've been going through is because of your sin or your failures or choices. I'm just saying in my life, most of the pain I have has been self-inflicted. But I also know this, sometimes the only way God can really protect us is to allow us to go through difficult circumstances because that's the only way to grow strong enough to face what he knows may be coming down the road. Listen, whatever the cause of your suffering and your struggle and your questions, whether it's based on your own choices or it's God allowing that stuff in to grow you stronger, here's what I know. When you hurt, God is there and he comforts you. That's the third thing mom teaches about God is that God loves to comfort us. God loves to comfort us. You can see that in the great moms in your life. Like when you were a kid and you're playing outside and you fell on the pavement and skinned up your knees and your elbows and crying you ran into the house. Who were you looking to come and comfort you? Who were you calling out to? I bet more than likely it was your mom, at least for most of us. Why? Because we knew mom would comfort us. We didn't usually cry out to dads, at least I didn't. Because I knew if I went in the house with a skint knee and asked dad for comfort, he'd say, suck it up, buttercup. Rub some dirt on it, walk it off, and while you're walking it off, stop by the freezer and bring me some ice cream and don't get in the way of my television, right? Now, I'm not down on dads. I'm not knocking dads. I'm just saying for the majority, moms have this innate ability to comfort. So does God. In fact, look at Psalm 10, 17. It says, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. Listen, maybe you didn't have a mom who comforted you. And maybe it was your dad who was there for comfort. I I don't know what you had or didn't have in your childhood, but I do know this. You have a heavenly father who loves to comfort you. He loves it when you cry out to him. And ask him to come and hold you and carry you. Our kids are all grown and some of them have kids of their own. But I can tell you this. When I watch anytime any of our children reach out to their mom. Because they're hurting. Because they're struggling. Because they need comfort. There's a joy that fills her up. To have that opportunity to continue to comfort her children. And God is like that. He desires that. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know the painful journey you are walking today or you've walked in the past, but I do know this. That God loves you. That God wants to protect you. And he wants to comfort you. And I'm so thankful for the moms in our lives who show that to us. But I'm even more thankful 
for the God who lives that out perfectly in every one of our lives. And so the question for us to wrestle with this Mother's Day is how will we respond? What are we going to do about that kind of love? I want to suggest two ways that we can respond to God's love. Number one, we can respond to it simply by receiving it. To just receive it, that's the best response to God's love for you is just to receive it. I want to give you two images to take with you today that maybe will help you remember what I mean when I say receive God's love. See, because for those of us who are Christ followers, this phrase, receive God's love, we write it down and like, yep, been there, check. Maybe when I was nine or I was 12, I, I gave my life to Jesus and they dunked me in the water and I was a recipient of God's love. But look, I'm not talking about a one and done receive God's love. I'm talking about a daily soaking in God's love for you. And so the image I want to give you is of a waterfall. I love waterfalls. I love to see them out in nature. They can be big and powerful, but they're all peaceful and soothing and remarkable. I love to see waterfalls out in nature, but I must confess my favorite waterfall is actually in a water park at Garden City Beach, South Carolina. There's this huge water park called Wild Water and Wheels. That's a mouthful, say that. But it's got huge slides, putt-putt, go-karts. It's got all these things. And when our kids were little, we'd go to the beach. We'd always go there one day. And they loved the fast slides and the twisty slides, but not Daddy. You know where Daddy liked to go? To the giant kiddie pool. They had this massive three-foot-deep kiddie pool, and in the center of it was this man-made mountain, and on three sides of that mountain, it had these waterfalls, and at the base of each waterfall was like a flat, cut-out surface like a seat, and you could literally sit underneath that waterfall, and I'd, love, I'd sit there for hours and just let that water, it was like getting a soothing massage. It was so comforting, and because the waterfall was so loud, it blocked out all the chaos and noise going around me. It was a place of comfort and peace. I want you to understand that is what I mean when I say receive God's love for you. To daily sit underneath it, let him comfort you and soothe you and give you peace in the middle of all the chaos going on around you. I also know for some of you, this idea of God's love for you is just too much to be true. You're like, that's great for you good little Christian boys and girls, Philip, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made and the ways I've run from and rejected God. There, there's no way I could receive God's love. If that's how you feel today, I want to give you this image. It's just an image of a simple notebook. And I want you to imagine that in this notebook is a running list of every failure, every mistake, every flaw, every unkind thought, every hurtful thing you've ever done. It's all been written here in this notebook. How many of you would admit if there really was a notebook like that, it would probably take more than just one little one? How many? Yeah, yeah, almost all of us. This is mine. You can see it's pretty thin. No, I'm just teasing. Truth is, if it was all written down, all in my life, there would not be enough trees in the world to provide enough pages 
to keep a list of all the junk that's in my life. But imagine this is your notebook receiving God's love as you're just taking it to him and saying, here, I don't know what else to do with it here. And when you do that, God immediately takes it. He throws it aside and he wraps you up in his big old papa bear arms and he says, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. But, 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 no buts about it. It's already been paid for. Come home. Receive and live in my love. Now listen, since I'm the one telling this story, I'm there watching this happen. And while you and God are hugging and have this kumbaya moment, I'm really, really curious. And so I sneak over and I pick up your notebook and I want to see just all the bad stuff. But you know what I find when I thumb through it? Nothing but blank pages. Why? Because God in his love doesn't just toss our sin aside. He wipes it clean. He separates us as far as the east is from the west and says, you are forgiven through my son's death on the cross. I tell you that not because I think it's true, but because God says it's true. Look at Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of the worst moment of the worst day, our biggest failure, Jesus said, I'm paying for it. I love you. Come home. Receive God's love. Have you done that in your life very personally? I'm not talking about going through some religious ritual when you were a kid. I'm not talking about knowing the story of Jesus' death and the gospel message. I'm talking about, are you still carrying your notebook or have you given it to him? Are you allowing him to just cover you with his love? Listen, I think there's no better way to celebrate Mother's Day than to take that step of faith. You don't have to come down the aisle and shake my hand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or or do it. Just right there at your seat, just cry out, Jesus, I need you. Here it is. I admit I've got notebook after notebook, and I want you to come into my life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose again so that I could have forgiveness and that I could have hope and purpose. And today, Lord, I receive that love and that forgiveness, and I choose and commit to spend the rest of my life following you making your purposes my purposes, making my life about you and your glory, not about me and what I want. If you're making that decision today or or if you want to talk to somebody about making that decision today, if you're in person at one of our campuses, that little tear off at the bottom of your program, there's a place to check. I want to talk to somebody. If you're watching online, just send us a, a private message or a direct message through Facebook or whatever you're on. Let us know because we would love, we're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to send you a bunch of literature. We just love to know how we could help you take your next step in living and receiving God's love. That's the main way we respond to God's love. But there's a second way we can respond to it, and it's this, reflect it. The second way we should respond to God's love is to reflect it, to give it away. God fills us with this amazing, over-the-top, unbelievable love, not so that we can just sit and soak in it and hoard it for ourselves, but so that we can be conduits to share it with the hurting people around us. 
I don't know if you're paying attention or not, but people in our community are desperate for love. They are desperate for love, and they are looking for it in ways and in places that are destroying their lives. It's tearing apart families. This last year has just simply magnified the need of people around us to be loved, to be accepted, to be valued. And God has called you, Christ follower, to get out of your little holy huddles and circles and get out on the Jericho Road, out on the streets, and be love to the hurting people around you who are desperate. And I promise you, if you'll do that, Two things will happen. One, you will meet the needs of hurting people around you. But secondly, you'll find it meets the deepest need of your life. The need to have meaning and purpose. And that's what God has created you for. Listen, in the 25 years I've been a pastor, I've met a whole lot of people who have tried to convince me that being a Christ follower is this complicated thing, that I've got all these sets of do's and there are these things that I don't do, that there's this complex set of rules and behaviors or there are certain doctrines that I'm supposed to believe more important than other doctrines or theology. But let me tell you something. I know that I know that being a Christ follower is as simple as these two things we just talked about, receiving God's love and reflecting that love to others. How do I know that? How can I say that? Because Jesus did. Notice John chapter 13. Jesus said, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. And that is my hope. That is my prayer for each one of us. This Mother's Day, as we leave this place, as we log off of that computer, that we would do so today with a little deeper understanding of God's love for us and a little deeper desire to share that love with the hurting people around us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for reminding us today of your unbelievable love and sacrifice for us. I thank you, Lord, for the mothers in our church and in our community and in our world who have fleshed that out for many of us. And I thank you, Lord, for those who never had that. You've always been there to provide it. And so, God, would you open our hearts and our minds across all of our campuses, across all of those who are watching online, would you pour out your spirit in a way that transforms lives, that hurting broken people will come to a saving truth and knowledge of your love. And that your church would be done with complacency and would get out into the streets and be viral kingdom agents to share your love with the people and world around us. Oh God, we can't do it on our own. We need you. So move among your people, your family, and make the things that matter, matter more for us. In your name we pray. Amen.